You know, I think one of the worst things about having to wear a mask is in here, it makes you feel like you need to be quiet. I like to hear people get excited about God, and I want to give you the opportunity now uh, to confess, proclaim, if you believe God is good, you believe that God loves you, and you are thankful to be in this place this morning worshiping Him, you're more than welcome to say amen or say anything you would like. Yeah. And you can do that all service if there's any reason to do that, all right? Um, I want to make an observation that your perspective of who God is colors everything that you see and experience in this life, especially up here, what you hear coming from this pulpit. And I'm going to say if you have an incorrect understanding or an incorrect perception of who God is, you're going to have an incorrect uh, perception of what His truth is. If you, and I, I will say if you have a perception of God that is contrary with what has been recorded for us in His Word then it could possibly be coming from a wrong source. The God that I want to brag about this morning, the God whose glory I want to proclaim loudly in this place is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same one who promised Abraham that I will bless all the nations through your seed. He is the same one who said, I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but through my son the world could be saved. I have a, uh, the great pleasure of uh, studying occasionally the Bible with a young man who questions the character of God. And we were reading through Ephesians one night and I saw his face light up because he realized that it is by the will and the pleasure of God that we receive uh, him and are adopted into his family. And it clicked for him. He said, God is pretty good, isn't he? And God does love us. And I said, yes, he does. He is a wonderful God. He is the same one who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting, uh, not perish, but have everlasting life. First Timothy, I missed that one, I'm going to tell you. It is God's desire for all to be saved and come to the, um, the knowledge of his truth. The uh, verse I just recited, John 3, 16, I think sometimes it is misunderstood it's misunderstood to believe that, oh, if I believe in Jesus, then I will live forever. And if I do not believe, then I will just stop existing. Uh, to my understanding, um, that is wrong. To my understanding, every soul exists for eternity. But only those who find salvation through God's Son truly live. You have heard the saying, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. You can live and breathe and have blood flowing through your body without experiencing life as it was designed to be. When you think of life in this context, consider the season of winter. The trees exist, but they have no leaves, no color, no fruit. Plants exist and are in the ground, but no blooms, no smell. The grass has lost its color and the softness, and it crunches under your feet. Only a few hardy birds venture out, and seldom is there a song in the air. And then comes spring. C.S. Lewis gave us a good picture of the difference between existence and life in his story, The Chronicles of Narnia, where it was always winter, but never Christmas. And then comes Aslan, the Christ figure. He breaks the curse. The sun comes out, the ice melts, the trees and the plants wake up and bear fruit and fill the air with fragrance. The birds sing their song, and nature is doing exactly what God has called it to do. This wonderful God so loved the world that he called us out of the freeze of winter into the warmth of his love 
to experience life it was truly designed to be. Another misconception, some people say, how can a good God send people to hell? I say, wow, what a great and loving God who would offer us everlasting life, giving us a choice to either be with him or not, to share in his great blessing and invite us to live forever with him and his kingdom and prepay the entrance fee for anyone who wanted to accept. Every soul exists forever, but only those who accept the gift of grace from God the Father through the obedience of Jesus Christ truly live. If you are in Christ, I celebrate with you this morning and hope the words that you hear this morning will encourage and edify you. If you don't quite understand what it means to be in Christ, it is my prayer that God will use the words you hear this morning to bring clarity. And when you leave this place, you will be filled with the joy and the confidence that comes with understanding truth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be up here. Lord, you have given us a gift of your word, which is wonderful. Thank you for that. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us comprehend and understand. Thank you. You've given us life. Thank you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would work in a mighty way in this place. Lord, I can't do your word justice, but you can. Lord, you can help give understanding and clarity, and we're counting on you to do that this morning. Lord, may you be honored and glorified with what happens in this place today. Amen. So I have realized lately that incorrect expectations are the cause of much grief in this life. Sometimes you expect more from a relationship than it was ever designed to give, leaving you longing for what you thought could have been. Other times we experience grief because our exp expectations are too low, and, uh, and then we miss out on what should have been. When I was a young man, I had the wrong expectations of what this life in Christ should be. I was focused on the end instead of the present. I rejoiced that when this, and I'm, these are my words, when this wretched life was over, I would be transported to heaven where I could enjoy life as it truly was supposed to be. I'm going to tell you, that's not wrong, but it's also not completely correct. I read John 10.10 10 and I was very intrigued. I read it over and over again. Jesus was teaching his disciples about the religious leaders and, of the time and, and the false teachers and said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life for the, to the full. Or as other versions say, that you might have abundant life. I was intrigued. I said, what is abundant life? I looked up the Greek word for abundant and the definition of abundant for the word they translated was superabundant in quantity or superior in quality, exceeding abundantly above, beyond measure, above expectations. Every soul will exist for eternity, but only those in Christ will truly live. If your expectations are for any less than abundant life, you miss out on the blessings that God has intended for you. I want to ask you a question this morning. You can answer if you want to, but you don't have to. I want to ask you a question this morning. If I ask you to put your life in one of the, your existence in one of these two categories, one is thriving, one is surviving, where would you put your life? Thriving, surviving. Abundant life does not equal surviving. Abundant life equals thriving. Now, certainly there are seasons in life that all we can do is survive. 
when we experience an unexpected tragedy or loss, it can take time to get our legs back under us and work out our faith. But those times can and should be the exception, not the rule. Before I go any further, I want to make sure that um, I, I want to make sure that you know abundant life has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank, or how big your house is, or the number of toys you have in your shed. Abundant life is much bigger than that. Um, if you want to, you've got it on your handout, but you can also uh, open your Bible to Second uh, Peter chapter one, and we're going to be. Uh, uh, bouncing around in there a little bit this morning, but we can read, um, we can read in 2 Peter and learn much about abundant life. Uh, from it, we learn that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I um, want to tell you also that Paul wrote in Ephesians that God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realms. I want you to notice that both of these passages I just recited are in the past tense form. That means that it is done. God is not in the process of giving. God is not waiting uh, for the correct time, but has already given us everything that pertains to life and every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realms. Given. Past tense. That means if you are in Christ, you have everything already that pertains to abundant life. Or another way to say it, you have all the tools you need to walk worthy of your high calling. I have a friend who boldly speaks about his radical transformation when he accepted the gift of grace from the Father through Jesus, his Son. Or if I can use the words from Colossians that Paul wrote, when he was rescued from the powers of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of God. Before I get back to my story about my friend, I want to point out in that passage, rescued from the darkness, uh, conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Look at the tense of the words. It's past tense. It has already been done. God has rescued me. God has conveyed me to the kingdom already. Not going to when this life is over, but has. It's past tense. And someone asked, well, can I live in the kingdom while I'm living on this earth? I'm glad you asked. Hallelujah, yes, you can, and I do. I live in this world, and I submit to the authorities thereof, but ultimately I live under the authority and the kingship of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with full access to all the spiritual blessings from the heavenly realms. Getting back to my friend, uh, when, when uh, he was rescued from the darkness, uh, before that he spent many years living like a pagan, and when the change occurred, it was evident to all that knew him, he was radically transformed. He had some, what some would consider a, uh, a great testimony, but it is no greater than your testimony if you are in Christ. His life was changed. His actions and habits and interactions with others changed. But that is small beans compared to the real change that occurs for all those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ... You have been crucified with Christ. The old self has been put to death. You have been born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Well, what is the new? What is the radical change that occurs in your life? Well, if you are in Christ, you have a new standing. You are right with God because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You have been gifted with his grace, which is his unmerited favor, something we don't deserve, and peace with him. What does it mean to be at peace with God? You have been reconciled to the Father. Your wrong made right. Relationship restored with the one true living God, the source of the universe, the giver of life, the ultimate authority over all things, and the one who is the standard of love and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and strength and beauty and all things good. You are at peace with the great I am. Think on that for a few seconds. How can we know this? Well, the Bible tells us so. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Peace with God. God gave us his word so we can know him, understand his will, and know who we are in Christ. We have been given a new identity. I am sure we all have been identified in ways we did not like. Some we earned, others were just lies. Loser, liar, failure, unloved, not good enough. The identity that we were born with was lost, sinner, separate, shameful, slave to sin and death. But I'm going to stop there because there is no need to spend time with something that is no more. But what is our new identity in Christ? You could say it by heart, right, Rob? Beloved child of God, born again, restored to original value. You are holy and blameless, set apart for blessing and honor. Consider that when you were born again, the old is gone. How you used to be identified is forever in the past. What separated you from God's blessings, gone. And what you have in, is a new identity, completely acceptable, completely pleasing to the Father. When he looks at you, he sees a daughter or son clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Though your sins were as scarlet, you are as white as snow. You have been bought for a price, forgiven, redeemed, set free from the bondage of sin, released from the authority of the enemy, rescued from the powers of darkness. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. And unless you get into the word, you will never understand what just what it is God has intended for you. What are your expectations for life in Christ? Mine get much greater as I read and understand the character of God and who he has designed me to be. Do you know that we have also been given the opportunity in Christ to have the character of God? Not to be God, but to be like him. Second Peter one, uh, we read again, we read through that God's divine power or his godly power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. With our new standing and our new identity comes a new nature. He has given us the opportunity to partake of his divine or godly nature. Romans 5, 8 says, in Christ we have freedom from our old nature. Ephesians 4, 24 says, we have been given the mind of Christ. Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. In Corinthians, we read we have freedom from our old self. Romans, we have a renewing of the mind. Here's the one you don't want to miss. Ephesians 3.19 says that we may be filled with the fullness of God. 
Colossians 1.19 said it pleased the Father that the fullness should dwell in Jesus. So if Jesus was filled with the fullness of God, and I can be filled with the fullness of God, hmm, man, what are the possibilities? Think on that for a minute. Peter gives us an idea of what our old nature looks like. We were entrapped by the corruption of the world through lust and evil desires. But if we become partakers of his divine nature, we have an escape from the corruption of the world. Romans 12 confirms Peter and that we do not have to conform to the world, but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How can this be? How can we be filled with the fullness of God? How can we partake in the nature of God? It's a beautiful mystery. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, we read that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a, bled, as a pledge or a seal. He is the evidence of a radical transformation. If you were familiar with the, uh, the uh, Old Testament, I want somebody to tell me why the tabernacle and the temple were so incredible. God dwelt there. Good answer. It's the one I was looking for. The, the tabernacle and the, uh, uh, and the temple uh, were so incredible because the presence of God would dwell in its midst of his chosen people. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us? If you are in Jesus, you are the dwelling place of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, Don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? As God has said, I will dwell in you and walk among you and I will be their God and they will be my people. See if you can grasp this. It's almost too much for me. You have the spirit and presence of the Lord God Almighty dwelling inside of you. The fullness of God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, Those who have been joined with the Lord are one spirit with him. When you were born again, your old self was put to death and the new you was raised up. Romans 8, 17 says you were glorified with Christ. What does glorified mean? It means you were made into what you were not or could not be on your own. The old is gone. That sinner that was not acceptable or reconciled or at peace with God is gone. The new has come. The child of God restored to original value with the character of God completely available to you. Again, that does not mean you can be God. What it does mean is that your character should look much more like God's than that of the world that we live in. So how can we be like God? If we look back at Peter, I think he's got a very interesting phrase in there in, in uh, verse 4. It says that we may be partakers of divine nature. That tells me that God has given us all that pertains to life and godliness, but we have a part to play in looking more like God. Do you know it is possible to starve to death in a house full of food? I think my youngest has almost done that a couple times. Give me the evil eye now. Um, I have a pantry in my house, a little more impressive than, uh, than some, less than others, but my children have access to whatever I have in that pantry. We put dinner on the table, and whatever we put on that table is available for ones that I call sons and daughters. God the Father has a pantry like no other. 
and has given all that is in it to those he calls his sons and daughters. Peter wrote that through his divine power he is given, and let me remind you again, past tense not going to give or working it out, but past tense given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, including great and precious promises. Paul gave praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us all spiritual blessings from the heavenly realm. Jesus came to give abundant life, providing access to the Father's heavenly pantry, to the banquet of blessings that the Father has laid out for us to feast on. You have been provided with a divine nature and given access to everything you need for life and godliness, but you must make an effort. If my children never walk to the pantry or sit down at the table, they just might starve to death. If they want to be sustained and strengthened, they must partake of that which is provided for them. Church, we have a, a banquet of blessings, an overflowing pantry, and as David would say, a cup that is running over. But if we do not partake of what is provided for us, we will live like spiritual paupers and, yes, just survive this life. Peter wrote that we may be partakers. How do we partake of all things that pertain to life and godliness? What is through the knowledge of God and of the knowledge of Jesus our Lord and through his great and precious promises. Warren Wearsby wrote that just as a baby is born with all the equipment needed for life and only needs to grow, so the believer, the one reconciled to the Father when born again, has everything he needs in the Holy Spirit for abundant life. He only needs to grow and mature. How do we partake of what has been given to us? How do we grow and mature? John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, or this is eternal abundant life, that we may know him, the only true living God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Second Peter, uh, back in 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we become sons and daughters of God, we are also given the great privilege of being ones who can know God. I want to make sure you understand this next point very clearly. I've already said it, but God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realm. It's past tense. He does not say he's giving or will give it, but has. Past tense. God has already given it to us, but we must grab hold of it by growing in the knowledge of God and of the truth, by knowing him. Well, how do we know him? It's a very complex process. How do you get to know your friends? How do you get to know your spouse? By communicating with them, spending time with them. God has provided for us a resource that gives us a glimpse of his character. You might say, God doesn't speak to me. I'm going to tell you that just about every time I open up his word, he speaks to me. You want God to speak to you, open up his word, see what he has to say. But in it, he gives us a glimpse of his character, his will, the purpose for life, his love for us. If you want to know him and grow, read the Bible. It is written in Hebrews 4.16, In Christ we have been given access to the throne of grace. Or as I like to say, we've been given access to the ear of God. Understand this, that uh, and you are in Christ, you have the gift of being able to speak directly to the Father because of your right standing that has been provided for you. 
communicate with him, talk to him, get to know him intimately. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Then with deep longing you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Get to know him. Matthew 7, 8 says, Anyone who asks will receive, and he who seeks will find, and he who knocks, it will be open unto you. Get to know him. Matthew 6, 6 says, When you pray, go into your most private room, close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Talk to him. I want to give you just a quick side note on prayer. Sometimes people are intimidated by maybe what they think prayer should look like. You know what sometimes my prayer looks like? God, I don't like this. I don't understand. What are you doing? Or God, this is awesome. This is cool. Thank you for being good to me. Don't be intimidated by what you think prayer needs to look like. Prayer is communication. And you have been given the right and the privilege to freely communicate with God the Father. Get to know him. Partake of what has been provided for you by growing in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord and the precious promises that have been given to you. I'm not going to say much about the promises yet, but you have a handout that was given to you, and it's got all kind of passages and things on it. I'm going to address that at the very end of the service, but um, we'll talk a little bit more then about the promises, the promises of God. Um, Speaking of getting to know him, have you ever wondered what Jesus was doing in the wilderness fasting for 40 days? Could it be that he was setting an example that fasting and focused time of communication with the Father is a good way to get to know him? You can say amen if you want. If we are in Christ with a new standing, a new identity, and a new nature we should probably look a little different than we used to. Zach Williams sums it up in a chorus of a song. Forgive me, I'm going to sing it. A little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like... Anybody know it? Jesus. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Look more like Jesus. That's what it should look like. Yeah, we have a transformation. Unfortunately, the title Christian has been damaged severely by life. But Christian simply means Christ-like. If you are reconciled to the Father, if you have been set free from the powers of darkness... If you have been adopted into the family of God, then you should look more like Jesus a little more every day. 2 Peter 1.5 gives us some evidences to look for to see if our life looks a little more like Jesus. It's faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and where does it end? Love. Good answer. Brotherly kindness and love. How did Jesus answer when he asked what was the greatest commandment? I'm sure you're saying the right thing. I can barely hear you. But love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our language does not do justice to the word love. 
as it is used in Scripture. All too often, the word love for us conjures up the emotional picture of snuggling on a couch or being smitten by another, or it's a strong like for what another can do for you. I want to tell you that God did not send his son into the world because he was smitten with us and wanted to struggle, snuggle. Sorry. Jesus did not flesh out the will of the Father unto death because of what we can do for him. John 6.38 says, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And John 15.13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for a friend. I want to suggest to you that to love God and our neighbor is to be aligned with the will of the Father. I want you to look at verse 8. If these things, and we just talked about the evidences of, of uh, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be unfruitful or barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to think about that, you will not be barren or unfruitful. What happens in nature when spring breaks the hold of the winter? Well, trees start to produce fruit. Flowers blossom and bloom. Little baby critters start to come alive and move around. Nature does exactly what God created and called it to do. It brings forth new life. You know, we are created and called to bear fruit, to be part of bringing forth new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reveals to us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and that it also tells us we are ambassadors of Christ. What does that mean? We are to represent Jesus and Jesus who was representing the Father and the Father whose will it is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. When we are called out of darkness into glorious light, we are called into the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to bear fruit. I feel like I didn't even touch on the subject of abundant life, and we could talk for hours and hours about it. But I want to finish with this one thought today. I want to suggest to you that abundant life is being so content and confident in who you are in Jesus, in your new identity, that the desires, struggles, and worries of this life do not interfere with you walking worthy of your high calling. Let's, let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for your word. And I trust that you will use it today to change us. Lord, I pray you would help us to understand a little more each day how much you truly do love us, how good you are to us, and uh, your desire uh, for us to be reconciled to you. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. Amen.